Welcome to the Mind Your Leadership Podcast. I'm Karen Tsuk. In this podcast, I will have conversations with thought leaders, CEOs, and managers from various organizations about leading mindfully. We will learn from experienced leaders how they implement mindful leadership in the day-to-day organizational culture, and we will gain tools and skills. So stay with us. Hello, everybody. Today, I will speak with Arthur Wood. Arthur is a social entrepreneur and LGBTQ plus advocate, working at the intersection of equity, inclusion, and technology. He was named to Forbes 30 Under 30 and 40 Under 40 by BEQ. He's the author of the national best-selling book, Hiring for Diversity, a global keynote speaker having delivered three TEDx talks, wow, and has contributed to Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and Forbes. Arthur is a partner at Plenty Search, an executive search firm for venture-backed startups with a strong track record on diversity and the creator of the first equal hiring index to assess and benchmark inclusive hiring practices. Today we will speak about how to lead inclusively to bring out the best of your team and much more. So stay with us. Arthur, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me, Karen. It's great to see you. So I will start with my personal question. Like, if you can share something that someone said that changed your perspective, viewpoint, or how you approach life, something that touched you and resonated within you? Yeah, Karen, I, I'll never forget when I was just recently out of college, I sat down with a mentor uh, who had a really long business track record successfully. And I was in a job where I, I didn't have a great deal of purpose. I, I felt like I was not you know, innovating. I wasn't making an impact that I really wanted to make. And he, he sat down and said, you choose how you show up to everything you do. You choose whether you're an entrepreneur. You choose whether you make an impact. You choose whether you make something meaningful or not. So show up tomorrow with a different mindset, a different perspective, and see what happens. And it absolutely changed the way that I looked at work itself. It changed the way that I looked at that particular job, Karen. Our mindset is a choice. That's amazing. Actually, to be honest, I saw your TED Talk and I really loved it. And you, you know, you talk about mobilizing meaningful change and shifting perspective around diversity, equity, inclusion, and purpose. And, you know, it really resonated with me because I really believe in it. So how do you do your impact on the world? How do you implement it in today today? Yeah, it's a great question. So for me, my biggest goal in life is to show up every day and leave the world better than I found it, but um, to also bring out the potential in the people that I work with. I've done that over my career in different ways, sometimes by building technology and solutions that are all about making work better for people. Um, today, I am a partner at an executive search firm. We work with early stage companies to help them basically build transformational leadership teams. And we really believe that if you bring the right people in early in your idea, before it's reached scale, um, it can absolutely transform what you do. You know this, Karen, having the right people around the table early on changes the trajectory of everything that you do. So I have to say, Karen, the way that I realized this sort of theory of change has been in different mediums. I definitely realized that we can all make an impact in different ways, not just by building technology. Sometimes it is by leading, in this case, a service company. 
But I think I've always been driven by this idea of bringing out the best in people and creating social value because we know that there are a lot of you know, major needs in society that we need to address. So actually, you launched in the past a few years ago a tech company called Medicine, right? It's yep. interesting for me because this is the technology part of you. And how does Medicine equal hiring index and scoring system works? So what is the so groundbreaking in it? I'll be happy to understand how you really help companies to bring the right people on by hiring because I see this is your passion. Absolutely. It, it's a huge passion of mine. So Karen, um, just as some backstory, you know, I uh, came out in the LGBTQ community about halfway through college. And when I walked into my very first job interview after school, I overheard a homophobic slur from the interviewer. This was just one micro example of the massive bias and inequity that underrepresented job seekers face every single day when they apply to a job. That really stuck with me. So, you know, years later, I had the opportunity to co-found a company called Matheson. And it was at a time when diversity, equity, inclusion was certainly top of mind for many more people. But as we all witnessed over the last three years, it became an imperative for almost every leading company to figure out what more can we do to build equitable workplaces, more diverse and inclusive workforces. So we built the technology at Matheson to help companies measure where they have the greatest gaps in their diversity recruiting efforts, where they can take measurable steps to reduce bias in their system, and how they can actually get a better and more holistic sentiment of their people. And it's an analytics platform that now is in the hands of hundreds of employers. And one of the things that really stuck with me early on, Karen, is that 76% of employers do not set diversity goals. It's such a large number. So Matheson's mission is is to make it easier to uncover your gaps, set your goals, drive meaningful change, so that you can actually make progress if you really intend to make progress. It's interesting because you say 70% or 76% of it, the leaders don't put it as their goal. So I think the first step is to increase their awareness about this team and wanting to That's right. change in this because it's a bias, actually. They acting upon the bias without seeing it. That's exactly right, Karen. Yeah. And Arthur, what are you, the biggest problems you see in most companies' diversity are in efforts? What are the most problems and challenges that you encounter? Yeah, that's a great question, Karen. So th- there are a few. One is actually at a very fundamental level, and that is that I found, I, I wrote a book about two years ago called Hiring for Diversity. And one of the most poignant you know, insights from this process was finding that leaders all have vastly different definitions of what diversity is. And oftentimes, the way they think about diversity is in a very narrow way, and, and it's leaving out entire communities. So an example of that is that I've sat down with many leaders who said, Diversity is just about skin color and gender. And that didn't account for the fact that we have people with disabilities, people who are neurodivergent, refugees, immigrants, working parents. So in the book, Hiring for Diversity, we wrote about, you know, 15 underrepresented communities that really could, you know, expand our our holistic definition of what we mean by diversity. Um, The other piece, Karen, is that, you know, a lot of folks at this point have a decent pulse on the, the feedback from their teams. They could do a better job of still getting more and, and getting that, that more frequently. But so many employers um, haven't really thought about their system. And you, you mentioned the bias and inequity, Karen. So many employers haven't actually taken the steps to understand where are our systems not working for people? Where are we you know, pushing forward policies that are unfair to certain communities or not accessible to certain communities? 
So I really think that employers can be doing more to look at their at the way that they're actually operating and start to monitor where they, they have you know, real gaps in, in the equity and accessibility of their systems. You know, when you speak, it's interesting what comes to my mind that we're in a period of time that it's transformative time, right? Transformative times. And people are showing up, daring to show up fully and differently. And it's getting broader and broader, right? It's not an arrow that we know. Yeah. So every time it's a new, a new way to look at things, a new way to show up and another thing included in this definition, as you say. So it's like an ongoing process, right? It doesn't, doesn't stop in, in not in a... L, not in G, not in B, not in T, not the Q. This is why the plus is, right? <laughs> I understand now. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, you know, our, to your point, Karen, our definition of diversity will continue to expand. I mean, we will continue to, continue to see new, new communities that come to the forefront. We're going to continue to see new ways that we can better understand where bias shows up. So I tell individuals that our definition of this work 10 years from now will be vastly different than it is today. What is your definition today? Well, I, I like to think of diversity, equity, inclusion in, in four areas. And this is, this is really kind of the, the nomenclature that we all see today. Diversity, which is having you know, equal representation you know, of the rich diversity that exists in society. We have that representation in our organizations. Inclusion is um, ensuring that people feel safe and seen and, and recognized as they are, um, invited to the party, as you could say. Equity, which is that we have fair, equitable, and accessible systems for everyone. And belonging, which is that I feel like I belong here. And belonging is the ultimate thing that, that we're really trying to strive for, right? If, if, if someone has a sense of belonging, that's kind of the, the pinnacle of our, of our hope here, right? So actually what you're saying, for me, it's the mental to, be, to feel connected and belonging. And I think this is part of the transformation nowadays in the workplace. People want to be seen, to be connected, to be part of something bigger than themselves. So, you know, I don't refer it as equity and inclusion. I refer it as something a human need that we need to acknowledge and give place today versus like that's right. a decade ago that come to your work, do your job, and I don't care about you as a person, as a human being. But nowadays, actually, this is a big transformation that we all need to embrace and go through there. Otherwise, people won't want to be part of a company. Why? Because they won't feel seen. So what do you think about yeah. this as a bigger phenomenon? It is a bigger phenomenon, and, and it, you're right, it has, it has greater reaches than just, you know, a little DEI, the initiative on the side. What I try to tell leaders that even are the most skeptical of the idea of diversity and inclusion efforts, at the end of the day, we want a workforce where people show up, they feel connected to their work, right? They do really good work. They feel safe enough to contribute to that work, right? And they feel seen for who they are and appreciated, so they stay, hopefully, so there's a very pragmatic pace for this kind of work. I think a lot of leaders, sadly, have kind of gotten you know, swept up in, in how the work has become kind of politicized or stigmatized. We have to kind of return to the core essence of what we're trying to do here, which is just make work work well for everyone so people do good work. Tell me, do you have an example of a leader that you worked with that was a big gap? For me, it's interesting because, you know, we're speaking like-minded people. We speak the same language. Yeah. We write different definitions, but at the same time, the yeah. same yeah. essence we are connected to. But can you give me an example when you approach a leader, a manager, there was really a big gap between what we see as a equity and inclusion and what was his experience and, and how you help them close this gap and understand mm. it should close this gap and it will impact 
his company for the best? Great question, Karen. You know, I, I worked with a CEO recently who he runs a company with a really strong culture. Everyone, I would say, is, is fairly connected and well provided for. But he had a very big gap in terms of understanding why he needed to invest in certain diversity initiatives. His thought was, well, we already have a really good culture. People seem to feel included. I don't understand why we need employee resource groups or why, why do we need to put so much time and effort into the program, the programmatic aspect of diversity inclusion. And what I told him was, as a white cisgender man, frankly, you, you might feel that you're included and provide for, but a person from an underrepresented community that isn't in a position of authority like you are and hasn't then maybe afforded the same experiences as you, you have had may not actually feel the same way you do. So it was just a big, it was, it was a very subtle and maybe obvious reminder that even though we may perceive everyone to be in a great place and to feel included, we can't necessarily fully understand anyone else's lived experience. And perhaps, you know, these programs are not designed for folks that have been in positions of authority or privilege today. They're, they're designed for the individual that came from maybe a fear-based organization. Joe Zoppig, even though you're, you're, you have an inclusive company, they may not feel included because of just their past experience alone, right? So what we have to always know, and this is, the, I think, one of the challenges and opportunities with this work, Karen, is every single person has a different psychological relationship to this work. It is just by the nature of our lived experiences, our identity. There's absolutely no way that we all perceive this work and experience this work the same way. So when we design the work that's about designing a container that works for everyone in the organization, and even if, you know, again, one individual says, well, I feel really included, we can't necessarily believe that that's the way everyone feels, right? That's great. I have two coming questions. The first one, can you give our listener an example of a system to put in place one or two that, that are crucial to enable this diversity in the organization, in the culture, something that's really, you know, easy to do and not too expensive or too much? Uh, yeah. That is a great question. There are a few, I would say, quick wins, right? The first and, and most important, I think, is set up a system to constantly be getting feedback from the team. Josh Burson and his team did a huge study about DEI uh, efforts about two years ago. They found the most critical intervention we can lead is to have mechanisms to continuously collect feedback from our team. I think a lot of leaders, Karen, feel like they have to figure this all out on their own. They're like, well, I, I'm the one in charge. I've got to go find a way to make this all work. Bring your people along with you. Like, Make this a mutual collective effort. Listen to what people say and what they need. And so even using a free you know, Google survey and have a, have a quarterly pulse from your people, it goes such a long way. There are other, you know, I would say, very kind of quick wins. One that I, I love to talk about from a hiring standpoint, Karen, that, that sometimes goes unaddressed is when we're scoping our jobs and, and we're deciding to hire for a role, we tend to be actually quite lazy in how we do that. We can go to chat GPT, we can type in, you know, give me a job description for the, you know, this you know, software engineer, and it can spit something out very quickly. We can copy and paste it and we go to town. We're, we tend to not slow down and ask ourselves, how are these requirements stacking up to my ability to cast a really wide net and, and, and recruit from underrepresented communities. So I, I really challenge leaders to push heavily on how they can eliminate non-essential requirements and how they can write a job description in a way that really just speaks to the core competencies of what you need to do and not necessarily 
where you went to school or what degrees you have, or maybe these arbitrary years of experiences that we sometimes see. So, and if you think about what happens with that job description is it's a trickle down impact of having, you know, basically a very narrow pool you can pull from because of your requirements, it hinders your diversity recruiting efforts. So I really challenge leaders to push on, on uh, eliminating versus expanding. I really love it. I will start with the second example because what you offer leaders is to see beyond, mm-hmm. you see the potential of the person, not all the uh, sentences that we usually say in order to be accepted. See beyond, see the person that sits in front of you, see the human being, see where you can go. Because at the end of the day, you know, I think today we will mainly, we're looking also for people, correct me if I'm wrong, that know how to learn new things, that have agile mindset, right? Because we are continuously learning. So bring a wider perspective to this process. It's not only what's... Yep. CVs, right? The CVs, and I don't think they're so interesting anymore in the processes they used to be in the past. What do you think about it? I, I agree. Um, you know, it's so interesting. We still anchor to the CV. I think it needs to change. Um, I still ask candidates for it, and I, I catch myself frustrated that I, that I do. You know, I think the CV, like what, what you can see on LinkedIn today is probably a better, better representation of a, of a person's skills and experience. But here's the thing, Karen, we know and research has pointed out the fact that we make our initial assumption about candidates within seven seconds of looking at their resume, seven seconds. Wow. And in an interview, we've already decided typically on average about 15 minutes into the interview, whether the candidate is suitable or not. So we are making very quick, I would say sometimes, you know, abbreviated and uh, premature assumptions about a candidate's suitability. So we have to, first of all, just really train ourselves in slowing down when we're looking at a resume, giving ourselves the ability to look at a really comprehensive set of requirements before we make a decision. And of course, to encourage the candidate to show up at, you know, as their best self in that, in that process. I can really relate to it because, you know, I used to meet a person. I feel the same energy. I'm ex- excited. Yeah, let's go on. And then I fall on my face. So <laughs> it's really uh-huh. a challenge because, you know, when you see like-minded people, you are connected and say, so, wow, there's really good energy. And, and this is my learning to pause and, you know, take a few deep breaths and really ask more questions and understand, see fully the broader picture. And it's not easy. I think usually we, we are looking for people that are like us. You don't think so? It's something. We are absolutely. Absolutely. It's human nature for us to, to look for, you know, affinity. And it also is human nature. I mean, if we think about the 11 million bits of information that our brain receives in any moment, when we can only consciously process 40 bits, right? It is completely natural that we're we're trying to make uh, as many snap judgments and, and automatic you know decisions as possible. But this is an area around hiring. To your point, the more that we can slow down, the more that we can speed up. That's all right. You know, so it's actually connect with the mindfulness aspect because, in a paradoxic way, if we are running with the first candidate and not seeing the broader picture, not pausing to really reflect if it's the right alignment between us, the chances that we'll fall on our face is bigger than we'll, if we'll pause for a minute and really try to figure out if it's a good fit beyond what we are looking to see in this candidate. So I think it's really, really, from, I don't know, from my experience, it's really challenging and it requires yeah. us to, to be really mindful, to pause, to take a few breaths, to acknowledge the person, to see different perspectives that we didn't see in the first conversation. And you know, it also resonates with the first thing that you said before, 
about the ability of leaders to be able to, I like the tips that you get to create a questionnaire and to get feedback. And this is also connected to being a mindful leader because at the end of the day, in order to change and evolve and be on top notch, we need to really listen to what's needed in the company. But it's not an easy practice, you know, to be humble and not to be ego-centered and to really listen to different perspective and to know that maybe he knows better than me because I'm really expert in this, but in this areas, I'm not expert. How do you work with it? Because I think this is the essence of being able to recruit people that complete me and not the same as me. It's a really good question. You know, I, I think, and you mentioned something that really stuck out to me earlier, and that is the idea that we have, we have affinity bias and we, we oftentimes, uh, one of the, the lazy ways that we hire is to, is to look at our homogenous team and try to hire folks that, that match the personalities of our team or that we think are kind of like us because we, we, we have, again, this, this shared commonality. And, and one of the things that we try to really train folks on is this idea of abandoning the idea of culture fit. Culture fit is one of the reasons that so much bias has been basically perpetuated in the workforce. Culture fit is the idea that I meet a candidate, they're not the same personality as my team, and if they're not matching completely, I don't believe that they'll fit culturally. So, and, and culture fit has been a, a way of, it's been a way of kind of cementing bias in many cases. It, you know, if I don't like someone, if I, don't, if, I, if, I'm, if I think that they're kind of strange, I can say they're not a culture fit, and it's, it's a bit of a cop-out, right? So we say, look, you know, you should look at whether a candidate aligns with your values, right? If they're, if they're working against your values, you can notice that in the hiring process. That's a big red flag. But we move from the idea of culture fit to culture add. Do they add unique thoughts, diversity? Do they add something that isn't on our team already? And to me, that's our, that's our hope is that we build teams where there's culture add. So I really love it. And I believe that this is what you're doing with Plenty of Search when you're helping them create a great team management team in order to take it forward. So you're looking for the differences between the people, the different voices, anything else that you're doing there in order to help them craft the right, the strong team? Well, yeah, Karen, what, what we're doing at Plenty is really understanding the culture of the company, the way that they work, the way that the, the initial leadership team works, so that when we're recruiting for a role, we are advancing diversity, but we're, we're also really understanding how these team members work together. And, um, and it's an art as well as a science, right? And at this early nascent stage that a lot of these companies are in, it requires even more thoughtfulness because these companies are, are growing at incredible rates. And as you know, having the right chemistry on that team, having the right leaders that will really work together in a, in a strong partnership is potentially transformational to that business. So that's, that's where we come in and we have a team typically of five that is working on every executive search. And you know, we've been able to work now with over 100 companies to help them build their leadership teams. Amazing. Arthur, any question that I didn't ask you that you want to talk about? I would say that the question I'm most excited to be asked about is, is sort of where the space is going. What I would just say is that there's, look, the last year has been very strange, right? You know, that's an understatement. Between navigating the pandemic, the economic you know, uncertainties, you know, everyone working remotely, some teams coming back to work. There's been, there's been a lot of burnout in the um, HR and DEI functions that we've seen. And I think there's a lot, there's a reason to be somewhat uh, concerned or a little bit skeptical. But I, when I talk to leaders, I really try to remind us all right now of the, 
the extraordinary opportunity, but also just the optimism that we can have right now for what's ahead. Because in these kind of uncertain times, I find, and you've seen historically, some of the greatest innovation is born, right? Some of the most extraordinary ideas are born. And if you look at what happened during the recession, you know, about a decade ago, it was exactly when, you know, some of the greatest new companies were born, some of the greatest innovation. So we have so much extraordinary opportunity to make an impact right now. So I try to just remind leaders of that as much as possible. And it's so important to show up fully and to be able to bring our present to the world, right? Because each and every one is a different present. And this is what will make a great team when we really listen to diversity and include different voices and different perspectives. There the innovation exists, right? Otherwise, we are doing more. That's right. And who doesn't want to have an innovative company, right? To be in the top notch and to lead the, the space. So that's amazing. And keep on doing this great work. Ordo, before we need Thank to wrap you. up, I will be happy to ask you, where can listeners reach out and find you if they want to work with you? Sure. To reach out to us at Plenty, look up Plenty Search, plentysearch.com. If anyone needs help on executive search needs, you can find me at arthurwwoods.com and um, Hiring for Diversity, my book is at hiringfordiversity.com. It's also available on Amazon. So look me up there and, and I hope we get a chance to collaborate. Great, Arthur. Thank you very much for joining and sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, Karen. I love the conversation. Hope you enjoyed the conversation. You're invited to subscribe to our podcast in order to know when we upload a new episode and follow us on social media. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take care and bye-bye.